So, Berto, some people have been sending in some short questions for you and me to answer. What do you say we read those questions and answer them? Sounds scary to me. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I manufacture see-through mirrors. So this first email is from, first question is from Magdalena from the Czech Republic. She writes, what kind of information you, what kind of information you wouldn't tell your therapist? So what kind of information would you not tell your therapist? Berto, what do you think? Well, I can't tell you. I mean, come on. All right, let's see uh, if I'm breaking my own thing. Um, what kind of, oh, okay, well, let's see. If I were, picture myself in my therapy session, I'm talking about my life. Maybe there are some mental thoughts that I wouldn't spell out because, you know, your brain says a lot of things and some of those things, it's not like you're controlling them in real time. For example, you might see a person walk alongside you on the street and for a second, your brain might present a sentence like, oh, I just would love to smack the back of his head. Oh, I see. So, but you don't really mean to or have any intention of doing this. It wasn't even really you. It's just something that presented itself in your consciousness, right? Well, would you tell your therapist that? Like, by the way, I have some random... Oh, maybe if it was recurring. But like, let's say I'm in the actual session. And in, in the middle of the session, uh, let's say it's a, a female therapist, right? I'm in, in the middle of the session. And for a second, I noticed that her breasts look especially uh, prominent today. I'm not going to say, hey, by the way, I, I think your breasts look prominent today. You know, even though I thought it. Right? Okay. What that's other, an example. What other kinds of things? Now, that's kind of more on the moment, right? Now, let, maybe an example of something that would be more like a, a long-term thing that I wouldn't bring up. I think if it was, well, actually, would I have any, would I, Humberto Casanera, have any barriers? I don't know. I mean, I've told, I told my therapist a lot of things that were that I hadn't told anyone before. Uh, would I have told her? I suppose if I had done something I was really, really embarrassed about. Right, like what kind of thing? But I told her really embarrassing things. Yeah. I don't imagine you being a very... Held I don't back. imagine you being the sort of person that would hold back. Hold back. Because you've, you've talked about some pretty embarrassing things on this podcast. Yeah. So I would imagine you that's wouldn't That's true, be, right? <laughs> you wouldn't be too shy to and tell. And that's in public. Yeah. But I'm sure I, I did hold back narratively in the moment. Like, you know, maybe I was telling her about something that I did, and yet I made it sound slightly not as bad in my favor. Okay. You know? But like, what about like... Uh, masturbatory practices or something like what if she what sure. if what if she was like so you know let's get into okay your right life. right in that with that therapist okay here's the big irony the only kind of therapist that i can imagine getting into detailed conversations about my masturbatory or sexual practices is the kind of therapist that i would find hot and therefore we would end up having very unethical situations happening so I would rather that not come up. So no, I, I, I would, you're right. That is something that never came up and I probably wouldn't have brought it up unless it happened to be like an issue. Like, hey, I'm having erectile dysfunction or every time I go to have sex, my head explodes or something like this, right? Yeah. But if it was more like, oh, okay, well, let me tell I'm, you about my sex sure, life. You know? I'm pretty sure when you have sex, your your head is supposed to explode. <laughs> right. But if, but if it's more like, oh, man, you should know, like, every trauma, every time I have sex, I spread some vanilla ice cream on the person's tummy, and then I make sure my ass cheeks touch it first. Like, I'm not going to talk about that in the privacy of a session. Okay. On the podcast, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so listeners, uh, what do you think? Uh, what kind of information do you not tell your therapist? <laughs> Email me at contact at psychology in Seattle com or comment on this or go to the fan page uh i think it's an interesting question and i'll just say as a therapist it's totally normal to not want to reveal certain things to your therapist it's a bit of a myth that you're supposed to be like a billion percent honest with your therapist in order for therapy to go well it's just not true uh, another question here from famous patron linden he, he writes this is a question just for you he said Ooh. 
How has the sum total of everything you've learned on the podcast influenced you at work or with people? Zero percent. I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, let's see. I think through the various years of doing this, uh, I certainly have increased my improv stat. You know, in my all my little stats. Okay. I think I probably started off as a seven, maybe. You know, I was pretty high already, but probably a seven. I think now I'm like at a nine. I could improv my way out of a tunnel. Yeah. I, I think I'm better too, actually, yeah. too. Yeah. So I think that's helped. Um, I also think it is personally... Does that help at work and with people, though? Oh, I, I got to be a little careful because depending on the context who I'm with, some people don't like constant randomness, right? But if I'm in a creative environment where I'm trying to be creative, it really helps me. Because it, it immediately makes it safer to start ideating. Well, and if you are saying improv uh, in the way that I am, um, I imagine it would help in that instead of you just being in your own head, yeah. you're bouncing off what other people are saying. Sure, that's you know, a fair point. You're, yeah. you're yes-anding. You're, yeah. not, you're not just... Yeah. It's, it's not just you throwing shit out. Absolutely. It's, it's you throwing stuff out in response yes. to what and other it, people are saying that sort of elevates the the movement absolutely and yes you're right that definitely has uh, had an effect what i would say i always have to be a little careful about the because of the nature of my work we we do these uh see-through mirrors and there's a lot of meetings in conference rooms trying to try talk about all the different metrics about how many mirrors to build and all these things right so do you ever do focus groups about the see-through mirrors while the clients are behind a see-through mirror yeah all the time yeah yeah, and they're see-through both ways. So, and then so we're sitting there, and we're like, I think they call that a window. Mm, I don't. But so we're we're like planning the next quarter, and and actually, well, windows are one of our main competitors, but I don't know why. And and then we're sitting there, and I need to be careful because if I start going into podcast Barito mode, it can be a little dominating, right? It can be a little overwhelming. Because on the podcast, I, I dial myself up a little bit, so it's so we keep the conversation moving, so there's no boring spots. So and I it's say, just and it's just you and me, and it's me and you, and it, yeah, outrageous commentary. Right? Well, and you're not like in a meeting of twelve people, exactly. And so there, I will use the skills like you just said. Like that's a great point, Mary. And we should also have smaller mirrors. You know, what about other kinds of things like the content of yes, you know, learning about yourself? Yeah. Well, for one thing. Um, so about myself, I have, I have extended my therapy that I had by being on the podcast because I've talked about topics, many of which I had already brought up in my therapy, some which I hadn't. I've actually, I remember there's a few things that I've outed in the podcast, you know, um, and so, but that's also helped me go further with my own understanding of those aspects of myself. <clears throat> There's also been specific topics in which I've learned and changed my mind. One of the notable ones was the suicide episode where I came into the episode with my traditional stance about like, that's unacceptable, unex inexcusable. You're a bad person for committing suicide. Uh, and then I, I kind of, my eyes were open, you know, and, and I had a new understanding about that whole universe, right? Um, also things like, you know, through our discussions about, uh, things like evolutionary psychology. As much crap as I give you, I've definitely evolved my understanding of, you know, what what do we mean when we say something is provable or not provable, these kinds of things. Uh, similarly with our conversations around, uh, well, n topics you've brought up that I knew little about, that then I, I had a, a deeper understanding just from hearing you explain it. So that's also been great. And I think some of the guests uh, have been really helpful for me to expand my horizons as well. <clears throat> a couple examples come to mind. Uh, when we did the sex positive stuff back in the day, uh, it was a world I was sort of unaware of. Yeah, me too. You know, and I had a really close-minded view of that whole thing. And then I was like, whoa. Um, we've also had, like, for example, the Adams, the Adam, Adam Adams, right? Uh, that, I would have never thought, oh yeah, you can use D&D for like, therapy like that was pretty eye-opening so i think the guests have also been really interesting over the years uh and lastly i've i've learned just how wrong you are about so many things <laughs> yeah. yeah i am all right here's another short question from steven he writes before going back to school i worked as a field instructor for a wilderness therapy organization students would journal about their past and where they wanted to go 
and we regularly created rituals for students' achievements. The work, while hellish at times, deepened my curiosity towards both therapy and the impact of sharing one's perceived story. Mm. A question for you two. Have either of you had an outdoor experience, positive or negative, that has continued to impact you today? Berto. An outdoor experience. Wow, that's a great question. Because um, <clears throat> in Colombia, you lived like right in the middle of the city. Yeah. There was no wilderness. No, no, not really. Yeah. The, the wilderness experiences I had as a child were because I would go visit an uncle who lived in a different city that was a lot more outdoors. Mm. Um, I also remembered a field trip we had to... So you've heard of the legend of El Dorado, mm -hmm. I'm sure, right? Well, one of the places that was thought to be, <clears throat> still thought by many to be the place that the legend originated in, is right there near Bogota. It's called Lake Guatavita. And it's a lake that's super, super deep. Uh, and they used to float out the, the chipchas in their, in their uh, what do you call it, in their ornaments, all their gold ornaments on golden... Uh, right, well, let me explain this. Yeah. So when we were in... Bogota, we went to the Gold Museum, which is perhaps the biggest museum, culturally speaking, in all of Colombia, maybe. Probably. Yeah, it's a massive museum. Yeah. It takes a long time to walk through. And it was fascinating because it really, you know, it, it talks about Colombian or, you know, that region, its history from a Colombian perspective. It's not, right. it's not from the perspective of Americans or Europeans. And it talks about it in such a way where it's like, uh, you know, as I'm reading the timeline, I'm like, man, we, I might, because, you know, intellectually, I know about the civilizations <clears throat> that existed in the Americas right. prior to white people coming and spreading their germs and, and also uh, warfare to kill everybody, genocide. Genocide through accidental germ exposure right. to smallpox and other things, and also literal genocide, purposeful genocide. You know, I've intellectually known about these civilizations, but in this museum, you see the artifacts right. and you see the uh, evidence of this rich, interesting uh, mm. or, uh, mm -hmm. civilization. Also, when it's portrayed, it's like apocalypto, right? Where right. it's portrayed in this really... Um, savage, violent, you know, uh, homicidal sacrifices and stuff. And it's like, you know, yeah, there was some of that going on, but the vast majority of the population just lived regular lives, you know, and they yeah. had, you know, technology and aqueducts and gold. And, and one of the thing, you know, but getting back to some of the violence, one of the known rituals that they had back then in Colombia was was it the Incas? Is that the no? This was uh, the the tribes that were there were the Muiscas. Okay, Muiscas, and it would have been a thousand years ago or something, two thousand um, years ago. Well, even this stuff was still happening six hundred years ago. Okay, and the uh, the civilization <laughs> as a part of their sacrifice to the gods, they would get a big raft, yeah, a ceremonial raft, and they would put uh, people on the raft. I That's think they right. might even tie them up, young, like virgins and stuff. And then they would put all these different ornaments and everything, and they'd, they'd, they'd you know, sort of put it out in the middle of this lake, and then it would sink very slowly. Right, and it had tons of gold on it, too, so that would make it heavy. <laughs> right, and it was this, supposedly this transcendent ceremony that was supposed to elevate the civilization and the people being sacrificed. That's right. And the virgins or the young people, it was usually young virgins, right? Probably. I can't remember, but... The, they, the, the most helpless part of the society, probably. Right. <laughs> and they were, they were slowly dragged under the water and drowned. Right. And it was... Uh, and the most prized possession in the entire museum is a gold representation of a someone who sculpted a gold representation of this ceremony, of this raft, yeah. and we still have that. It's yeah. very delicate and, you know, very... It's amazing how, how intricately designed it is. I mean, it was made back then. Right. About their ceremony. Right. In gold, and it's so beautiful. Now, the ceremony is horrible, but the thing is... While we're on the topic, Berto, uh, uh, let's talk about your ancestry results. Oh, yeah. Right. I got, so I had already done the 23andMe years ago, maybe five years ago or something. And when I did it, it came back 
sort of anticlimactic. It was an anticlimactic thing because I got it back and it was really low granularity. It was back when they, they basically said, you are a human. Turns out you're a human. And, and then my genealogy said... You're, you're 99% human. Yeah. And it said like, okay, I think it was something like 94 or 97% Iberian, which means the Iberian Peninsula where Spain is and stuff. And then the other percentage, it said other. <laughs> so at the time, I thought... What? Well, so that was mind-blowing to you because you thought in the family lore was that, sure, part of your ancestry yeah, come, from Spain, comes but. from Spain, but some sizable percentage is from native Colombian people. Yeah, certainly my ancestors raped a few virgins, right? Like, I mean, that must have happened. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I'm not proud of the horrors that must have befallen the natives. Right. And so that's why you were, ancestors. well, that's why you were so disappointed. You're saying anticlimactic, but I would say you were disappointed because you, according to this test, were 100% colonial rapist. Well, actually, maybe not because maybe, maybe actually I was interpreting it the wrong way because that would have meant that they didn't actually have sex. Well, well, that, you're a colonialist who raped and didn't have any kids. Yeah, you're right, from a line of right. people. Maybe they just murdered. Yeah. Well, they also could have raped, and there could be other people. <laughs> right. But the 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 point is, is that it's a shameful. You know, it's like whenever you do ancestry, if you're a white American, mm-hmm. uh, like I'm half white American, it's all fraught with difficulty because I have ancestors who owned slaves. Right. And uh, or were supportive of slaves. Most of my ancestry is from the north. Mm-hmm. So like, and even those that were in the south, they were Quakers who were actually oh, okay. anti-slavery and, and a lot of things like that, and would actually help slaves escape. But um, but yeah, so it's a bit of a you were bummed out. But then you got an update. Right, did get an update. Oh, and by the way, the not only was I bummed out, like oh man, all my ancestors are colonial. Okay, but. I also was surprised because I'm not, I'm not the whitest person, right? Like I, I'm, my skin is not like super dark, but it's it's got color, right? So I was fairly certain I must have some native in me, right? Some amount of native. But there's pretty dark Iberian people. I guess you're right, and so well, and it turns out yes, because so I mean I got as, my, as dark as you anyway. Yeah, that's true. So I got my results, my updated results, because 23 and Me keeps refining their data. And I logged in because I think you had mentioned like, oh, you should go back and check it. So I did. And it is quite different. Um, so I am still something like 75% European. Out of that 75%, like 40% Iberian. And then a whole bunch of subsets of Italian, uh, Southern European, um, Eastern European, you know, like a little bits and pockets of stuff. <clears throat> and then... The other 35% or whatever, a lot of it is native. Mm. It's like 20%. Do Do they designate as just all the Americas or Colombia? No, no. Actually, 20% is, it says Mexico slash Colombian natives. Mexico slash Colombia. Yeah. I don't know why they do it that way. That that might be a part they're still refining. That doesn't make any sense because there's all the, the countries. I know, I know. But they said Mexico slash Colombian natives. But that's as opposed to like Maybe they mean North Central America. America <clears throat> slash they might have, but Columbia. it literally says Mexico slash Colombia. So, what? okay, fine. So, 20% is Native American from at least, at least Colombia. Maybe a little bit of Central America. All right. Well, there you go. So I am native. I mean, not you're still Colorado. mostly colonial. Still mostly colonial. And then there's other pieces. I'm also Asian, brother. We're Asian brothers. I have some Asian in me. How does that work? Well, because basically every native has Asian. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. So getting back to that story, you would go to that lake. So I would go to that. No, we went once. I remember the field trip. It was a school field trip. And it was such a moving experience because the lake is not much to look at from one perspective. Like you go there, it's like, I remember there's this opening between the hills and you kind of drive through that opening and then there's this lake and it was foggy and the lake is sort of like muddy. What's it spelled so people can... Guatavita, G-U-A-T-A-V-I-T-A, Guatavita. And so you go through this opening and then you see the lake. And again, it's, it's kind of misty and foggy. The waters are not clear at all. And it's very muddy around. So it's not like this glorious, oh my God, it's the El legend Dorado. of El Dorado, right? But at the same time, 
it's like, oh my God, like this place has been around. I mean, obviously the place, but the history of people like 500, 600 years ago would have been there doing these ceremonies and that probably at the bottom, there's still a shit ton more of gold, right? That was kind of mind blowing. So I remember that. And I don't know how old I was, but I think I was maybe in sixth grade. Have, have they dredged up gold? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it's, like I said, it's very murky, very deep waters. And so I don't know. Anyways, that was one of the experiences. Um, did it leave a lasting feeling? It was, I think, the first time I felt a sense of, oh, history has happened before me. Interesting. You know, because, you know, when you're a kid, you're here, do, 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 there's your family. You don't even wonder, like, what, did my grandpa had a, a, da- a, a dad like you just like okay there's my family and then you don't really sit there and i mean in school they force feed you some history but you don't like absorb it yeah i guess i had a similar experience growing up in that in our the so i grew up in the woods i grew up in right. basically wilderness my house for example growing up you couldn't you could kind of see one house maybe at maybe two houses from our house but mm-hmm. it was so we we're completely surrounded by trees and and my backyard was just this huge uh, forest, not huge, but like dense, I should say, that no parents ever went into. And so we always played in there. And then uh, like a block away, there was this humongous forest and lakes and like wow. bike <laughs> trails and, you know, old cars that had been shot up with shotguns and stuff. <laughs> you know, people would just drive right. out an old car and shoot it up and stuff. I'm picturing uh, deliverance. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, so this is Sammamish Plateau uh, back in the day. And along those lines, uh, while I'd be digging up in the backyard, I would find an old railroad spike or something. Wow. And, and it would be all rusty and stuff. And, I'm, and you just think like, wow, there's like a railroad going through here at some, or, or a <laughs> mining situation. But yeah, so, so I have, uh, in contrast to you, Berto, you know, this question posed to me is like, well, what – what childhood experience did I not have that didn't involve the ah, wilderness, you know? Right. Uh, I've never been a camper or a hiker or anything like that, but but as a kid, it was basically like, you know, if I got home from school or I or it was a summer day, I just bolted out the door. The default was outside. In the woods. Wow. Well, because out, like, we didn't really have a lawn, you know what I mean? Like, right. it, it was just like trees right there, right, you right. know? And uh, my friend, my, my three best friends who lived, two of them lived right next door to me on one side, and one of them lived right next door to me on the other side. Yeah. So it was like ding, ding, ding houses with trees all around. And then the neighborhood was all trees in between all the houses. You know, right. it was just like, and imagine you're seven years old and y- you don't like being around your parents because they, <laughs> they get in your way. Right. And it's the 70s where parents don't really want, you you around anyway like the woods were just like our our private playground right that we knew that parents wouldn't enter the woods because they didn't want to get their shoes dirty so funny right yeah what happens to us adults we're like i don't want to go in there right they're just like oh it's there's spider webs there's there's mud puddles there's pine it's dangerous for us adults but kids (laughs) right and so we would just enter it and know that no one would ever come in and and that was proven time and time again for years. And there were other, you know, friends in the neighborhood too. That's so cool. Yeah. So, you know, I even have recurring dreams that take place in, in, the, the, woods. in the woods that I grew up. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, because you're right. I, my memories are mostly indoors. Yeah. I have uh, memories of playing outdoors with my cousins and things, but not where I lived. I, I guess I remember when I started to learn how to ride the bike or at Christmas when we'd all go outside and, and in the middle of the street light a big bonfire in the street, right? Right. A big, but and most the, of, and the street in Bogota that you lived in is like downtown Manhattan. It's a car street. Yes. Yeah. It's like, but most of my memories are inside the, my grandma's house, like yeah. running around. And, and even when my cousins would come over, we'd be inside playing and everything. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have memories like right. that too, but, but, but that's the default for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we would climb trees, we'd build forts, we'd have pine cone fights, we'd dig holes, wow. we'd, we'd play war, we'd ride bikes, we'd hide from cars, and uh, we'd do pranks on people and stuff, and then, <laughs> and then run into the woods. Because we knew every trail and every rock and right. every root and every tree, and 
it was just, you know, it was like our big playground. And that's the other thing. You had friends right there. Yeah. So that was the other thing that I was missing is I, I literally had no, zero friends in my neighborhood. Yeah. Not one, not Paul, three blocks down. The, no, no, zero. Yeah. And I'm just talking about the friends who live right next to right. me. Like if, if I extend out like one or two blocks, then then you got to include like 15 other. Right. Other so friends. that was what it was like at my cousin Adriana's. When I would go there, I loved it because I, they, there was a little community there and I'd have all my friends there and stuff. But where I lived, zero. Yeah. So the Im- impact on me today, I could really talk about many things. But the one thing that popped into my mind was back then we would get involved in a lot of projects, me and my friends. You know, we, it'd be like June or something uh-huh. and the, the four of us would be doing something. And we'd be like, oh, man, because we, we, did, we, we did activities together. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're all going to get big wheels and we're going <laughs> to ride it like this. Or we're all going to get our bikes and we're going to ride to the store and buy something. You know, it was, there was all these, we played a prank on this girl by acting like uh, she had a secret admirer. Oh, and <laughs> uh, so we all did that together. We listened to music together. You know, it was like we, we just did things as a collective, you right. know. And uh, we would, for example, in the woods, we'd say, you know, because it was this massive playground, we're like, okay, we have all, we have the whole summer. Let's, you know, let's build the most epic fort of all time, <sighs> you know? Uh, and one of the guys that the two brothers who lived next door, their dad was a contractor and had like tools and. Oh my gosh. So know? like a real fort. Yeah. And so let's, you know let's build a real fort in the trees or let's build a, a real clubhouse, you know, got to build a foundation right. and got to dig the hole. And, you know, we'd spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> Most of the projects we would peter out on, um, <laughs> like one of our foundations that we dug ended up just being a pee, a pee, a urination hole. You <laughs> know what I mean? But uh, well, that's useful. Yeah. You don't have to go back home. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we never went back home, man. We, we went pee, and actually, one of the one, the younger brother, he would he when he would so all of us would pee right. We just whip it out and pee, and but he would put his pants and his underwear all the way down to his ankles when he would pee. Stand. Wouldn't he get pee on the no pants or something? No, but it, we always laughed at him. But he he couldn't pee unless he had. And we just anyway, it was that's funny. But uh, yeah, so but, we but he'd pee standing up. Yeah, we all peed standing up, and most of us would just pull our pants down enough sure. to pee, but he would put his pants all the way down That's to the ground. That's funny. Okay. Yeah, and we would just endlessly make fun of him for it. But, you know, I fell out of trees. I, you know, injured myself in various different ways in the woods. Um, but so as a collective, we would make these these proclamations and these projects, and it, and they were very important to us. You know, okay, let's amass a bunch of pine cones, uh-huh. and then, you know, uh, over the next couple of weeks, and then we'll have the most epic pine cone fight of all time. <laughs> or we would build a bike trail, or I would construct these really elaborate stories of war. You know, like we were the good guys, and we were fighting the the, oh. not, the Nazis or something. And there would be like multiple chapters of this story that would exist over different days and stuff. You were LARPing, and you were the DM. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> uh, and so how that, you know, I, I wonder if that was a template of enjoyment or of life that uh you know perpetuated into my adult life in which i like to do projects with friends mm. like this podcast right I, I, most podcasts especially in psychology the the clinician does it by themselves uh-huh. and they don't do it with other people in general and so but that did not appeal to me at all i, uh, I was like i gotta have i gotta have friends you're conditioned for that yeah um when you know being in bands bands right like that's a you know like i've tried to do solo stuff and i've just i've never liked it <laughs> i i love working with a collective you know with uh, or our live shows that we've done or right. something you know or the program at antioch my education program you know it's it's doing it with a team it i, I wonder that if that sense. if that you know woods experience sort of affected me today yeah. um but also it, specifically to woods when I go to a woods, you know, landscape in the Pacific Northwest, it is extremely calming and enriching to me. Just that mm. the smell of mud, the smell of, you know, pine trees. It must feel like home to you. It is totally, yeah. Huh. And there's a certain smell that I like a like alder trees and moist air, you know, like the the woods in 
in the Pacific Northwest are almost always moist. They're almost always. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, they're you know like when you think of a California Yosemite forest or a forest in I don't know Southern Cal or something. There's it's a lot it's dry right you know but in Pacific Northwest it's always some degree of moisture yeah it's not a rainforest but it's moist yeah I mean it's close to a rainforest yeah. you know anyway all right well send in yours uh, people uh, contact at psychologyinseattle.com uh, let's take a break and when we get back I have an important announcement to make what. All right, we're back from the break. Berto, I have an announcement to make. Dun, dun, dun! So we have donated thousands of dollars, as many of you know, to important causes, like to organizations that give homes and services to homeless people, like Plymouth Housing Group, uh, Camp Ten Trees, which is a camp for queer youth, Pet Finder, which saves pets from being euthanized. The Trevor Project, which which helps queer and queer youth avoid suicide. The Special Olympics and and other causes that we've given to over the years. You know, when we started the Patreon thing three years ago, a listener actually said you should de- you should donate part of your you know profits to uh, charities. And I was like, oh, what a wonderful idea! And so we've been doing that ever since. We've donated, you know, thousands of dollars, as, as I said. And I got busy creating fake charities so you would donate to them. Yeah. And I spent time making <laughs> sure that didn't happen. Well, we – so all these things have been – some of these things have been based on meeting our goals on Patreon. Well, we met our next goal on Patreon. What? Of getting 900 patrons. 900? Is yeah. that over 9,000? <laughs> So now we get to start our – because – so I set a while back, I don't know, a year ago or something. Mm-hmm. If we get 900 patrons, then we will start our – drum roll – scholarship program. <gasps> Scholarships. That's so, right. I remember you saying that. So uh, our next move is we're going to give $2,000 to a worthy student who is a student in mental health. So – that's crazy. If man. you're a student in mental health, apply. Or if you're going to be a student soon, apply. Uh, or if you know a student in mental health, tell them to apply. The applicant does not have to be a patron or a listener to the podcast. Can so they be a host? They could be a host. <laughs> <laughs> the applicant has to prove that they are indeed a student in mental health, so be prepared to, to do that. Um, also... Uh, you must have at least 12 months left in your program. You know, if you only have like th- three months left. Right. Because it'll take us a while to even process these. And right. so so you have to have at least a year left in your program. And what's the criteria? Uh, so email us an essay. It's contact at com in a Word document, uh, preferably. Five page maximum, because I don't want to read, because it'll just be me and a few other people reading these things. Explain why you think you're a good candidate for the scholarship. Um, know that you can – I won't be publishing these essays. It will only be me and a few other people that will read them. So know that you can say personal things and not have it be read on the podcast or anything like that. Um, so again, explain why you think you're a good candidate for the scholarship and provide three references, people who can comment on the content of your essay – so, you know, because I'll call them and I'll say, so they said this, can you tell me more? And so I want right. people who can comment on that. Um, and it, you know, potentially could be family members or something, but it'd be preferred if it wasn't. Uh, the, the criteria are the quality of the essay will be considered. And then these three elements, so past, present, future. So in the past, I want to see a demonstrated commitment to making the world a better place. So obviously... You can include things like, I did a mission in Mexico or something. Right. But it could also just be things that are more under the radar, like, I have been trying to help people at my school or something. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a massive volunteer program like the Peace Corps or something. It, right. it could be lots of different things. So a demonstrated commitment to making the world a better place, not just an intent, but think, you know, you've actually done things. A present, the present uh, that I want to see is a demonstrated need for money. So, you know, I don't want some upper class person applying to this. You know, I, I need someone who needs the money, right? Right. 
Um, if say, you know, just as an example, you are a single mother who has three kids and you're 40 years old mm -hmm. and you're going back to school and, and you don't qualify and you can't, <laughs> and you can't, uh, you know, continue working at your job and, uh, you're having trouble even paying your bills. Right. Okay. That's an example of, uh, you know, present need. Now this, this one's a little more flexible because, uh, you, you know, some people have varying levels of need there. And so, right. um, you know, like it could be, it's okay if you have a trust fund and if you're lying on the application, but, but maybe you want the money really badly. Yeah. You want a new car or something. Um, and the future elements I'm looking for are goals for your career. So, and I will be evaluating how worthy those goals are. So example, if you know, you're the sort of person that is like, uh, I've done a lot of things for the world and I have a great need for money, but you know, I, I pretty much am a believer in capitalism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And so I don't really care about human beings and I'm just gonna, I'm only going to serve the rich and all that kind that of stuff. That sounds like a great essay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then, uh, you they know, get points for honesty. Right. So, so, but, but the main thing here is what have you done to make the world a better place and what are you going to do to make the world a better place? And it really can be quite broad. It doesn't have to be, you know, Harvard essay esque, you know, it doesn't have to be like, uh, again, it doesn't have to be missions to, you know, Bolivia or something. It, it, can, <laughs> it can be, uh, quite broad as, as my sure. point. You, like you could be creating art that inspires people or something. Right. It doesn't really matter to me in terms of the content. It's, it's more about the, the spirit behind it. So submit your essays again, five page maximum to contact at psychology by midnight, December 31st, 2018. Mm. So that gives you about a month coming right up to submit that. Uh, this episode might actually come out in December. <laughs> so we should, I, I mean, my best advice is to wait to the last minute to write the essay. Yeah. Maybe I should actually extend this. I'm going to, I'm going to extend it to January 31st, 2019. Wow. Yeah. January, um, so January 31st, 2019. Really uh, that will be the extent, because I think this episode might come out actually in late December. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, in two days, you yeah. better write your essay. <laughs> so what do you think, Berto? Uh, that's an amazing opportunity. I Can, think that's great. So it'll be really, I think it'll be really gratifying for yeah. me and us, I assume, to be able to hand over a check absolutely for $2,000 to help someone get through school. And just to think like that one little leg up might be enough to get them to the next step and the next step and they might really change the world, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing. All right. So let's do some, uh, let's, do, let's do a gripe of wrath. I have one. Gripes of so, wrath. Okay. So this makes me really upset. Wait, wait, sorry. We need like a an intro to every section. So. Okay. The gripes of wrath. Or Ooh, something like that. I like it. So this really makes me upset. You have Buddy Rich, the drummer, right? Yeah. You have Buddy. You have Buddy Guy, the guitarist. You have Guy Ritchie, the director of Snatch. Sherlock Holmes and King Arthur, and you have Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. There's, oh, right. There's too many. There's too much overlap there. Too, well, I, the last one is fairly different, but you're right about the first three. <laughs> so is this like? Does this? I mean, because Ricky Bobby confused? is like you could say Rick Richard Bobby, I right? See. So you got Buddy Rich and Buddy Guy, and then Guy Ritchie. He's like, oh, you love that drummer Ricky Bobby. So do you find this like? Do you make errors where you confuse these in conversation or? Well, that's where it comes up. I was yeah. the other day. I got. I was getting Buddy Rich and Buddy Guy mixed up. In my oh, mind. wow! And then I was like, "Wait, there's a Guy Ritchie. Who's that?" <laughs> so I had to Google all of them. And of course, what about Richie Rich? Richie Rich, or like, yeah. do you know that guitarist drummer guy, Richie Rich? <laughs> yeah. What do you have any gripes? Oh my gosh, gripes of wrath. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. I have a, I have a, this has been building. It's the Rotten Tomatoes discrepancy gripe. So, you know, you, you go to check Rotten Tomatoes to see if a movie is getting good reviews or bad reviews. And I'm sure you've noticed there's this divide between the reviewer score and the audience score. And some movies are really, really divided, right? 
And so, for, you know, take an example. Uh, what was one of the the DC movies? Right? They they had a, or, or I forget which one it was, but there was a movie that came out that had like a a ten percent critic score and like a 70% audience score, right? That is a huge gap. Well, as we've talked about before, these reviewers are... (laughs) Well, one, there are... So we tend to look at these numbers as representation of two things. One is is, um, the, the overall quality of a movie. Right. And two, how much the percentage likelihood that I'm gonna like it or... Right. The, the amount of which I'm going to like this movie. So if this movie got a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, that means that, you know, about 60% of the world will like this movie. Right. And I'm, I'm going to like this movie. Uh, I'm going to rate it about a 6 out of 10. Uh, or when they see the audience score, they think the same thing. Um, when all you got to do is look, you know, just slightly at the methodology of sure. these numbers <laughs> and realize that's silly because – the Rotten Tomatoes thing, you know, has is fraught with all sorts of issues because they read the reviews and they, because sometimes the the positive, the quote unquote positive reviews, when you read the review, it's like it's not really positive, you know, because some reviewers will just be like, yeah, it was meh, and they'll be like, they'll they'll say they'll code that as a positive review, right. you know what I mean? So that's one thing. The other thing is is the sort of people who as an employee you know as a profession become a movie critic that that is a very particular sort of person right right <laughs> they're the sort of people that watch a shit ton of movies yeah. right they are quite opinionated <laughs> and they're probably not you know your everyday people right right so they're probably highly educated they're probably white by the way you know what i mean they're probably male so there's just a lot of you know self-selecting things that make the movie critic a, not representative of the population. Then you go to the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, the assumption is, oh, that's that's regular people. No. The sort of person who has an account on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is a very particular sort of person. We're probably talking about people who are between the ages of like, I don't know, 15 and 26 or right. something. People in, in general, a younger crowd, let's right. just say. Yeah. Uh, probably mostly white people, probably mostly men. Right. Because uh, how many women are like, oh, I can't wait to log into Rotten Tomatoes. You know, it's mostly young people who are hi- highly opinionated about movies, really yeah. into movies, right? Again, not this isn't just a general population of people. Right. So, but, but, and you're totally right. And we've definitely discussed that before. My, I guess here's my issue. And I've come to a realization. I've had this debate for my entire life about, is a piece of art good because a lot of people like it or is it good for more, you know, other subjective qualities or is it good for some very specific objective qualities, whether someone likes it or not, right? And this is the eternal debate. But I realized we can circumvent this debate. If you are a reviewer, it should be your job to tell me the likelihood I'm going to like it, but with one little caveat. If I like that genre or style. So, for example, mm-hmm. here, here's the... Here's, right. right. Well, so I'll give an example. Yeah. So I have been tricked many times into going to a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Not many times, but a few times. Uh, because, like, what was that, the recent horror movie that got really great reviews? Her- Hereditary? Yeah, Hereditary. Yeah. People are like, oh, my God, you got to see it. And you I even said... <laughs> and, and they're like, oh, it's not really that... It's not like other horror movies... It is fucking like every horror movie. <laughs> it is it is not like it's not like Saw, but it's like, you know, it's it's similar to The Ring or maybe kind of like The Exorcist or something. You know, it's not super gory. Right. But, but it's definitely a horror movie and it's just it's just not appealing to me. Sure. Like uh I you know, this whole because all these hor- the, the central premise of these horror movies is often is there's a malevolent spirit yeah. that has supernatural powers yep. that is terrorizing and then potentially harming a group of people. Yeah, right. And and to me, that is not interesting to me because you basically have a villain who is the you know malevolent spirit who can do anything they want. Right. But they hold back sometimes because they want to fuck with you for for 80 minutes before they bring the hammer down at the end of the movie it's like it's like 
you know, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm up, if, so I'm trying to identify with the characters and, and to me, if I was one of the characters, I'd just be like, well, I'm pretty sure there's a malevolent spirit that is fucking with me. I have no recourse. There's nothing I can do. Right. It's a malevolent spirit. It's beyond my control. It's basically a God and it's targeting me. I'm done for unless the spirit just decides it doesn't want to. But see, this is why I actually don't think movies like The Omen, Hereditary, maybe Rosemary's Baby, those are different from quote-unquote standard horror movies. And the two key differences, in my opinion, one, the victim does realize they're sort of fucked. And they try to stop being sort of fucked. Unlike unlike a lot of movies where they stay in the house and they try to make it work. And and then the second part is uh, they don't win. Whereas in most horror movies, there is... A good guy wins. Uh, yeah. A good person. Okay, wins. so to you, you know, that helps. And that helps me too. Yeah. But it's just not appealing. So to your point, when I, when I see these high Rotten right. Tomato ratings, you, I now always have to remind myself, no, this is a horror movie. Right. So and that's, it's 90% that's, yeah. in the horror genre. That's right. But if you don't like the horror genre, then you probably aren't going to like this movie. That's, and so take music, for example. You know, me and, and my friend Paul, you know, Paul Maynard, Yeah, um, we have this little silly debate about the song, The Girl Is Mine. It's a song that I very much enjoyed as a kid. And Paul, I still, and Paul and Michael. Paul and Michael, that's right. And, the Girl Is Mine. Yeah, and it's a silly song, but, uh, you know, some people think the world has had enough of silly love songs. But... I like the song, right? And we have this eternal debate because he thinks it's the cheesiest thing known to man. And it is cheesy. Yeah, big surprise. Right, right, right. So we've had the debate about, well, but it did, it, it was really popular, right? It was a really popular song. I mean, he hates early Genesis. Because, I mean, no, he hates, he hates the mid-Genesis, mid-Genesis that I like. It's too poppy, right? Yeah. So he, he only what, likes 1973 Genesis. That's right. So if he were a reviewer, he would be in my opinion, not a useful reviewer for the average person. Because he would write a review of an album, a Billy Joel album, like, you know, Glass House or something, and, and be like, this sucks, this is super cheesy, never listen to this. Go drill holes in your skull before you listen to this. And most people would be like, oh Jesus, I'm definitely staying away from that album. Turns out there's millions and millions of people that w- would have loved that album. So to me, a reviewer, it's okay to have opinions, but you gotta couch your opinions in context so we know what the hell you're talking about. That well, way, if you say, listen, listen, I hate these things, and now I'm going to give you my opinion so you know where I come from. Yeah. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts where they review pop culture, mm-hmm. and the thing that I've found is that the, the, the critics who rise to the top are critics who actually like a lot of things. Mm. They, their, their preference is actually quite normal or mainstream right you know like they can love the beatles and taylor swift right you know like i wouldn't be a good music reviewer because you know i would shit on everything <laughs> like the chain smokers even taylor yeah. swift for that yeah. matter i mean when i i mean god bless you know the songs are fine but i just can't stop laughing at some of the <laughs> some of the choices of lyrics that some of these bands make and the the, the sort of personas they try to put forward you know like um What's her face? Uh, God, I can't even remember her name. But anyway, Katy Perry, you know, some of this stuff is just like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, so, but, you know, I wouldn't be a good music group. But if, so if people were, if like, let's say a, a, a radio station and a record company was using your opinion, they would go broke. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And I know that. Right. But I would be a good movie reviewer because I like a lot of mainstream movies. Mm. They're... The Taylor Swift of movies, I like. I see. You know, Han Solo movies, uh, Disney movies, you know, Toy Story, you know, very pop mainstream stuff. um, I actually quite enjoy. So, uh, you know, so I find that the the best critics that are paid attention to the most, I find them to actually be surprisingly uh, enjoying of a lot of, a lot of things of a broad base. And I think it's, and I've often wondered this because a lot of reviewers are older. They're yeah. like our age or older. Right. And I've always been like, how can you like this shit? Like, you know, there'll be a 45 year old music critic who loves top 40 of today. Yeah. And I'm like, 
are you just convincing yourself because you have to keep your job, you know, or do you genuinely like this shit? You know, like I, it's, it's a, it's, it's a question I have. It seems though that they like it anyway. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the, some of the TV shows and movies that I've been watching just to kind of wrap this up. So I rewatched the crow from 1994. Oh, right. What out of 10 would you give that? Oh my God! I haven't seen it since nineteen eight nineteen ninety four. So I, my view is probably skewed. I think I would probably have given it a seven. Yeah, I gave it a seven. Yeah, I think back in the day I gave it much higher, but I sort of downgraded it a little bit because it's it's not the best movie. No, but the other thing is is it's so nineties. <laughs> like it is dripping. With 90s. 90s you angst. Know, like Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> yeah. Get out. And it's dude. dark and rainy. Dark and rainy, long <laughs> hair. Uh, the the women are wearing, you know, dark lipstick with the chokers and right. the, the belly button showing. and you <laughs> Long, know. greasy, wet hair. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, uh, or not of course, but I think I've talked about this before, is Brandon Lee dies in this and he's half Chinese, yeah. half white. And when... I back then I had long hair and everyone would stop me and be like, "Oh my god, I've seen the pictures, man. You look He's just not, like Brandon Lee." Yeah, Kirk is not kidding. I, I I think if I hadn't seen the pictures and you said that, I'd be like, "Really?" Because I mean, because I think you with you know with short hair and the way you look now, I, I don't quite picture it. When you showed me that picture, it you look you're a dead ringer. Yeah, he has a picture with the long hair. It looks like Brandon Lee. I'm like, oh my god! You could do you could do the biopic, <laughs> except now maybe not. But. It's not pronounced bi. It's biopic. Sorry, the biopsy is what I meant. <laughs> um, directed by Alex Proyas, who went on to make Dark City, which is one of my favorite yeah, love favorite movies, which I also recently rewatched. I haven't rewatched that. I've, I rewatched that movie once a year. Really? It is an awesome movie. I want to rewatch. It, it totally holds up. It moves really fast. Yeah. It was. It came out just a couple years before the Matrix did. Dude, th- that blew my mind when I saw it. Yeah, because I remember seeing the preview, and the preview it showed the people floating with the nails along the wall and stuff, yeah. and I'm like, "What is this?" It's so good. Oh man. Uh, I I finally saw the Hunt for the Wilder People, 2016. Not hurt. Uh, Sam Neill is in it. It's directed by Taika Waititi, you know, mm. who made Ragnarok and. Have you seen Ragnarok? Throw Ragnarok? Yeah, yeah. And What We Do in the Shadows. Have you seen that? I've seen the show. Wasn't it a show first? No. Or a, Oh, no. They're making a show. That's what it is. They're Maybe. making a TV show. I saw the movie, but... As a horror person and as a yeah, yeah. as a comedy guy, you got to see What We Do in the Shadows. I, know, I, I watched it, but they're also making a TV show. Oh, you did see it? I did see it. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. He also did Flight of the Concords and Eagle vs. Shark, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, Eagle vs. Shark. Um, Hunter Wilder people, people talked about it. You know, they're like, if you like Fly to the Concords, you like Eagle versus Shark, you like what we do in the shadows, you like Thor Ragnarok, you like Taika Waititi, you have to see Hunt for Wilder people. I have to tell you, this movie was boring to me. I, I gave it a seven, though. I, really? I probably should knock that down a little bit. I was, I mean, it was the first half an hour, I was like, I was like, oh, this is cute. But then as time went on, I was just like, okay, this is getting a little bit of a slog, you know? Hmm. Um, I rewatched Men at Work with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. With their gar- garbage people. Yeah. Uh, directed by Emilio Estevez, actually. Wait, that was directed by him? Yeah. What? And, you know, at the time, Charlie Sheen was in his platoon fame right, and right. Emilio Estevez. So he had sort of like out outshined his brother for a bit there right now what happened to Emilio Estevez it's a good question because Charlie Sheen went on and did lots of things but Emilio Estevez he continued to act but in very small things but which is sort of weird because to to my generation he was one of the most famous people yeah Uh, Breakfast Club um uh the St. Elmo's Fire you know which movie I never watched Young Guns he was in Young Guns, Young Guns 2. Never watched either um, So the first 20 minutes of Men at Work is just hilarious. <laughs> it's genius. It's it's like, it kind of reminds me of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yep, yep, totally. 
but the last 45 it minutes it's a little goofy <laughs> it's it becomes basically like a heist movie yeah. c- comedy action movie and Isn't there a scene in a car with the sprinklers and the grass and the um, yeah and it just gets really boring essentially yeah. Um, but it's sort of a classic among me and my friends because when we were in college in 1991 or something, it pro- it came on TV or we had yeah. it on VHS and, you know, it was right up our alley at totally. the time. Yeah. Um, I saw Ocean's 8. Did you see that? Yeah, I what, watched What did you think? It didn't do it for me. It was, um, I mean, it, it had all the right elements, but, you know, like I loved Ocean's 11. I liked Ocean's 12. I was okay with oceans 13 this one was a lot more oceans 13 than oceans 11 for me now i thought some of the some of the actresses were fine you know i I love their their acting in general but i just thought that it was a little forced and the plot was simple and the twists were like there was this one thing where you know in oceans 11 when they do the big reveal of what, what what their plan was you're like, oh, that's what you were doing. Right. Well, that makes, oh my God, that's why you were. In this one, it's more like, oh, okay, so the thing you didn't show us, I would have had no way to know about. Yeah. And okay, that's nice that you filled us in, but. It, yeah, and, and, the, and the ending with Anne Hathaway seemed a little unrealistic to me yeah. as well. I mean, I feel, it wasn't super unrealistic, but I feel like better writing could have made that more realistic. So I didn't not enjoy it. I did enjoy it. And I like a lot of those actresses. I, it, I just wasn't. It didn't out, feel of, great. out of ten, I would give it a five. Yeah, I gave it a five too. Okay. Sander Bullock, Bullock, um, Kate Blanchett, Bullock isn't Bullock like balls in in English in England? Bullocks, like yeah. Bullocks. Like I wonder yeah. if people make fun of her name. Yeah, they people used to. in Great Britain. <laughs> let us know. Anne Hathaway, Minnie Kaling, and and others. Uh, directed by Gary Ross, who also directed the Free State of Jones, Hunger Games, Sea Biscuit, and Pleasantville. Oh, and that- he wrote and he wrote big, by the way. Oh. By the way, that's one of the things that I thought didn't work as well. So in, see, I don't like when movies where it's female protagonists, I think where it doesn't work as well for me is when the way they try to make the female protagonists work or be cool or whatever is they make them a little more male. Mm. And so I I felt like Sandra Bullock and her partner, Kate, Kate Blanchett. I just felt like they were sort of playing male roles, yeah. and they weren't. They were. It's kind of hard to describe. <clears throat> like, like Moana is a movie where the heroine is a woman, and she doesn't. She's not like a badass, you know, UFC fighter beating men up, right? No, she's just brave and dedicated to her cause, and she convinces Maui with her thoughts, and she, you know, but she doesn't overpower Maui with her headlock, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm half with you on this. Uh, on I, on one hand, I'm with you in that the characters are portrayed in a in a masculine style. I would yeah. say, um, but the fact that they had sort of masculine machinations, I wouldn't say I have a fault with. I I just felt like the the overall thing here is that it was just not very exciting. Yeah. Like. I feel like whenever you have, so, you know, politically speaking, it's like, well, you can't hate on this movie that much because you'll come across like you're one of those men's rights people who are like, how dare you reboot a movie with female characters and you ruin my Ocean's Eleven experience? You know, I, you know, you and I are definitely not in that direction. We abhor those people and their rhetoric. Um, So on, so on one hand, it's just like, I, you know, I don't want (laughs) to do that, but at the same time, it was just like, yeah, it was okay. You know, it was uh, like it would be a fun watch on a on an airplane, right? You know, like you just sit back, enjoy yourself. Don't expect anything that interesting. The scenes are all kind of cute and interesting. Like, there's never a point where I'm just like, "Oh my god, get on with it!" You know, it was it was it was just mildly entertaining the entire time. Yeah, that's fair. And it was great to see, to see you know those those actresses do their thing. I think what maybe would have improved the movie is if they had reduced the number of characters. Honestly. And focused on Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, and maybe like maybe Anne Hathaway in addition to that. But they tried to include all eight people a lot, you know. And it it seemed it just felt like 
I forgot who was who and why. And yeah. you know, they again, it's it's a hard thing to do. Somehow, Ocean's Eleven, they do it masterfully. Well, right, because I, from my memory, Brad Pitt and George Clooney's characters really shine through. Yeah, you know, you really get a a feel for who they are as people, and, and they're both quite different in their personalities but they jive well together and then matt damon is a completely third different third and then you have these bit players that are little entertaining nuggets of their own right and then the ensemble works brilliantly it's very hard to do that (laughs) very hard to do that right i think another thing is they're trying to make oceans 11 with women right but Ocean's Eleven has been made before. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to make something brand new yep. and interesting yep. when basically it's the fourth movie in a series. That's and right. And you're doing yet another heist, do you know? That's right. Um, all right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Again, uh, apply by sending an essay, five-page maximum, to contact at Psychology in Seattle telling us why you think we should give you the $2,000 scholarship for your... Um, also, you should know that your name will be publicized when you win be, as a part of the sort of whole deal. You know? Nice. The one thing... So if you want to remain anonymous, that's not possible. Like, we're, we're going to highlight... Right. Your, we're going to get... your a, name in lights. Yeah, we're going to get a headshot. We're going to put it on social media. Can I say their name on the air? We, in, we, in SSV? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, That does it for that episode. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.